So please have Ruth chapter 4 open in front of you. And uh, we're looking really tonight in overview at the passage and looking at this wonderful theme of redeeming love. And people love a story that has a happy ending, and we have that in this precious book of the Bible. didn't start happily. Some of you will know that it starts with a funeral, but it ends with a wedding. It starts with a famine, but it ends with fullness. And surely we see the truth of Psalm 30, verse 5, weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And Ruth was a widow. She was a Moabitess. She was a stranger, an alien to the commonwealth of Israel. And she was from the hated nation of Moab, which was under curse. And she seemed to have no future. She seemed to have no hope. And yet Boaz, the Israelite, a kinsman, would indeed turn out to be her deliverer, her redeemer, her husband. He would bring her into a place of acceptance and security and blessing. And this account, which is so wonderful, is also a stunning picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. And Boaz, the, the kinsman redeemer, is a picture of the Lord Jesus. And we, in many regards, as we will see as we go through, we are like Ruth. And we need a, a deliverer. We need someone to appear for us. And in this passage, maybe you noticed as we went through, one of the key words is redemption. It is used at least 15 times, redeem, redemption. For example, if you look at verse 4, it says, And I thought to inform you, saying, Buy it back in the presence of the inhabitants and the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. If you will not redeem it, then tell me that I may know. For there was no one but you to redeem it. I am next after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Throughout the verse, redeem, 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 redeem. It's a key theme. And you know, there are those who say, well, in this day and age, you know, you, you shouldn't use words like redemption anymore. You know, people won't know what it's all about. Well, that's why we need to come and we need to understand. And it is incredible when you do understand it. And not just understand it with your, with your mind, but you know the reality of it in your heart. And the way Jesus is our kinsman redeemer, the one near to us to save us. And so in this passage tonight, we're going to see a number of pictures of salvation and of the Lord Jesus. And you know, that in itself is a great affirmation of the Bible. Why, it's the word of God, the, the confirmations of the consistency, the inspiration of Scripture. None of this could have happened by chance. There is a sovereign God at work throughout it all. The Lord Jesus Christ is in all the Scriptures. And so let's look at these things together. And the first thing I want you to see tonight is the Redeemer in verses 1 to 6. You know, maybe when we read this passage together, it was difficult to understand just exactly what was happening. And so let me explain a, a little to help. The incident is taking place in ancient Israel. And within that society, there were many laws. But two in particular apply here. There is the law of the kinsman redeemer and the law of the Levirate marriage. And long before Ruth's story takes place, God had established practices that affect not only her, but also the people of Israel and all his people throughout redemptive history. And so we have this situation that arises. Now, goel, which is a Hebrew word, means to recover or to redeem. And it's often been translated kinsman redeemer. 
And the law of Moses lays out this responsibility in Leviticus 25. And there it makes provision for a relative who can care and provide for a less fortunate family member under certain circumstances. And so the Lord in his purposes will give to a tribe and family certain land. He wanted that land to stay in the family, but sometimes for various reasons, the owner of that land would need to, to mortgage it and you know he would be maybe bankrupted, forced to sell his land over to someone else. But God had a plan that if a man did this, somebody else who was a near relative could come and redeem that land and buy it back. The kinsman redeemer had a responsibility to do what was necessary to secure that land again, to support the relative, and to keep that in the family. So that's the first law. And then there was also a law in the land called the law of the levirate marriage. And the levirate process regulated Israelite remarriage customs so that if a man died, his name and family line wouldn't die with him or be vulnerable to the whims of other people. And you read about that in Deuteronomy 25. And so a brother of the dead husband would come and take his widow, marry her, and have children so that the family name would go on. And what we find is this, that the land and the name were incredibly important to the Jews. And these laws addressed the land and the name. Now, Ruth was a widow. Her estate had been sold, and she was in major difficulty. But then here is Boaz, her kinsman redeemer. Now, I mentioned the last time the, the following ways that he does this and points to the Savior and the way in which that lovely interaction took place. You know, as Ruth cast herself at the feet of Boaz, you know, she was desperately needy, dependent on his care. And so it is a picture that we cast ourselves at the feet of the Lord Jesus. We are, you know, seeking his mercy. As Boaz deals with Ruth, so Christ deals with every sinner who comes to him in repentance, covering them with the, the blood of the covenant by which he welcomes us into all the, the peace and the security and the contentment of being under his wing, which is what Ruth sought from Boaz, to be under his wing. Ruth came to Boaz as a penniless alien and yet became enriched by all the blessings of Boaz. And, you know, we come to the Lord Jesus and we come in spiritual bankruptcy. And yet we become fellow heirs with Christ by grace. And as Boaz takes Ruth and makes her his bride, so Christ takes us and makes us his bride. You know, if we are believers, we know that the Lord Jesus is our bridegroom and our kinsman redeemer that we've been made part of his church, that we can rest assured that he has taken the responsibility to do all that is necessary to save us and provide for us and bring us securely to that eternal home. And we can know that whatever assails us from within or without, we are safe under his wing. And these rich blessings come because he redeemed us through his work upon the cross. Now, I want to look at this a little bit deeper and how Boaz is an appropriate redeemer. You know, in order for a man to be able to buy back the land and buy back the estate and to take the widow that came with the estate, there were a number of things that needed to be true of him. And the first is he had to be legally qualified. 
He had to be a, a near kinsman. He also had to have the money to do it. He had to have the resources to be able to pay the price to redeem. And then he had to be a willing participant. You know, the law said he, he couldn't be forced to do it. He had to do it willingly. And you know, all of these things, they point us to the Lord Jesus. So look at them with me. The first thing is to be legally qualified. You know, if you remember from last week, Boaz had said to Ruth that he would happily be her kinsman redeemer, but he wasn't the first in line. There was a nearer relative, and that nearer relative rightfully had the first opportunity. But if he did not do it, then Boaz would willingly step forward. And so what happens at the beginning of the passage, Boaz goes to find this other nearer relative, this nearer kinsman. And when the time comes, Boaz meets this man and he explains about Ruth, about Naomi, the land, the whole situation. And he says to him, you're the nearer kinsman. Do you want to take on the role? Do you want to redeem? And if you followed the passage initially, that nearer kinsman says, yes, I'll do it. But then Boaz explains that he can't just have the land, but that also he's got to marry Ruth. And that's the breaking point. The nearer kinsman suddenly decides that he doesn't want to mar his own inheritance, and so he withdraws, and he leaves the, the way clear for Boaz. Now, I want you to see this. If Boaz pictures the Lord Jesus Christ, who is the nearer kinsman who cannot redeem? Well, let me tell you this. It is a picture of Adam. You see, it draws in what we considered this morning. Everyone is either in Adam or in Christ. We are all related to Adam. He is our nearer relative. He is our close kinsman. And in Adam, all die. And I want you to see this, that Boaz sat in the gate and he had with him, notice how many witnesses. He had 10, 10 witnesses, 10 elders. Now, in terms of the gospel, who are the 10 witnesses that say that our Adamic nature can't save us? The Ten Commandments, the summary of the law. And all of us are guilty of breaking them. And you say to me, well, you know, I've never murdered anybody. Well, the Lord Jesus says that we can commit murder in our heart. You know, and you, you look at other things. The law hangs together. And if we break the law in just one point, we are guilty of all because God demands perfection. And these 10 witnesses, they expose that we cannot redeem ourselves. And this nearer kinsman is exposed. He can't fulfill that role. He is flawed. And if you look at verse 6, Notice how full of self he is. I, 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 I. He cannot do it. And he will not do it. He is full of self and selfishness. But thank God there is one, a better kinsman, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was willing to come to this world and to take himself humanity in order to become our near kinsman. You know, why did Jesus come? Why did he step down from that glory? Why did the great eternal God become man? So that he could be our nearer kinsman. Hebrews 2 verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. 
And so the Bible calls the Lord Jesus Christ our brother, our near kinsman. That's why he came. Now the Lord Jesus Christ is legally qualified. He could not redeem us as God, though he is God. He had to redeem us as man. He had to be our near kinsman. Our estate was lost by a man, the nearer kinsman. It is redeemed by the perfect man, the Lord Jesus. You know, he is so wonderful, the Lord Jesus. I don't know if you would share that view with me, but he is. And I want to delight in him a little bit with you. I'd like to just listen to these words from Revelation 5. And I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, speaking of Almighty God, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or look at it. So in this heavenly vision, we see these things and this scroll, this book, is the title deed of the whole earth. It is the official document, as it were, that determines the outcome of all history. And in the first instance, there is no one to open the book. And in Revelation 5, it says that, that John weeps at this. But then it goes on to say, verses 5 to 6, one of the elders said to me, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah the root of David has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb, as though it had been slain. And so in the midst of this comes the lamb, and he is able to open the book, and praise breaks out. And what do they sing? You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. Worthy is the lamb who was slain. You know, John had seen this book. He had seen that no one had been able to open it. You know, the whole outcome of history, no one in politics, no great celebrity, no religious figure, no king or queen or monarch, no one in science or philosophy or economics or anything else, no one can open this book. The question is not about who is willing. The question is who is worthy. And there is only one, and he is described as the Lamb who was slain, the lamb who redeemed sinners. He is worthy and he is able to open this book. He determines history and destinies. And here we see a picture of the Lord Jesus. Boaz is worthy. He is able to do this redemption of Ruth. But it points us on a far greater scale to the only redeemer who is worthy, who is legally qualified. You know, my friends, our world is in a mess. You know, Satan is described as a, a dragon, as a beast with his hosts. Who comes against this great enemy? The lamb. The lamb who is worthy. The lamb who is qualified. The lamb who has redeemed us with his blood. He alone is able to do this saving work. And he has done it. 
and how we should delight and rejoice in him. He is legally qualified. And that's what we see here about Boaz. And also we see the second thing that we looked at was that you've got to have the means to be able to buy back. And, you know, you have to have lavish means and wealth. And not only is Jesus legally qualified and worthy, but he is also wealthy. In order to buy back, to redeem Ruth, Boaz had to have money. Now, Ruth 2 verse 1, listen to what it says about Boaz. There was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth, literally mighty wealth, of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. So he had to be a kinsman, and he had to have sufficiency to cover the costs. You know, the Lord Jesus is rich beyond our comprehension in terms of, of everything, but he's rich in terms of he is able to pay the price to redeem us. And he paid a greater price for us than Boaz paid for Ruth. 1 Peter 1, verses 18 to 19 knowing that you are not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. You know, Ephesians 1, Revelation 5 says that we are redeemed through his blood. There is no redemption without a price. And the Lord Jesus paid that price in full. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. You know, there are times when I come to preach the cross and I come again to all the events around the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus and just what he did. And there are times when you're faced with these things and you know, you're so overwhelmed. And you know, you, you can't but weep at what the Lord Jesus did. And you know, I, I wish that I could convey to you something of the depth of that price that was paid. You know, and I, I asked the Lord to, to help me to tell you these things and to anoint and energize and illuminate to bring the cross before a people who maybe are so familiar with the cross. And that is the danger. We can be so familiar. And there are times when, you know, we hear the gospel again and, and you know, our, our eyes just glaze over. And there's a, there's a numbness. It doesn't impact our hearts. And we've, we've heard the gospel so many times that we fail to appreciate the price that has been paid. That Jesus, with the silver of his tears and the gold of his blood, redeemed us, bought us back, you need to remind yourself of that believer. He redeemed me. He paid the price for me. He went to that cross for me. We need to remember these things. And indeed, the Lord Jesus had the resources. The Lord Jesus laid down his own life that we might indeed be redeemed. And he did it willingly. And this is the, the other element of this wonderful redeemer. You know, Boaz didn't have to redeem Ruth. The Lord Jesus didn't have to redeem us. You know, I, I told you many times, you know, he doesn't love us because we are valuable in that regard. We are valuable because he loves us. 
You know, friend, he loves us by sheer grace, just as Boaz loved Ruth before Ruth ever knew his name. We love him because he first loved us. And that is the great love that he has for us. We sung it together, all the deep, deep love of Jesus. Vast, unmeasured, boundless, free. And Boaz is this this wonderful picture of the Lord Jesus, the one who is worthy, the one who is wealthy, the one who is willing to save sinners like us, the Redeemer. And then I want you to see the redemption. And this time, I want you to think of Ruth. Think for a moment on her and what she was like. And she had three major problems. And those three major problems, we see them outlined in Ephesians 2, and verses 12 to 13, and you can turn to that if you please, and we'll just look at this very briefly. Now, in Ephesians 2, Paul is describing what the Christian was like before the Lord Jesus saved them. Now, my friend, if you are not a saved person tonight, these are your problems as well, and they need your attention. And so Paul is describing the believers, what they were like before they were saved. He says, at that time, you were without Christ, You know, everybody in this room, by the way, is either with Christ or without him. If you're without him, you've got no hope. At that time, you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Now, that's the story of Ruth. I don't know if you've noticed that before. She had three problems, her past, her present, and her future. And every unsaved person is just the same. And you say, well, how? Well, Ruth was born a Moabite. She was an alien. She had been born and she lived under a curse. Deuteronomy 23 verse 3 says this, an Ammonite or Moabite shall not enter the assembly of the Lord. And so descendants of Lot through an immoral relationship They were a thorn in the side of Israel. The curse was upon them. And so Ruth could not be admitted. The law shut her out. Spiritually, we're in the same position. We're born under the curse. In Adam, all die. We have no access to God. We are outside. We are enemies. And then, not only her past and her situation, but her present and our present, strangers, from the covenants of promise. She was without the things of God. She was a stranger to them. The joys of of knowing the Lord were were not Ruth's initially. Her life was full of tragedy and sorrow. There was no hope. And that was her present, you know. And if you're without Christ, that's your present right now. Without Christ, there's no hope. And it goes on to your future. There's no hope. You're without God. There's no prospect of change. It's, It's all bleak. Her past cursed, her present crushed, her future condemned. You know, may God help you to see that if you're not saved tonight, that's the position that you're in. And, you know, just sitting in church won't change that. You need the Redeemer. You need the Lord Jesus. And Ruth is a picture of all of us, and she had these problems. But see what happens. Look at verse 19 of Ephesians 2. Now, therefore... You are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Now you say, well, how did that happen? 
they had been redeemed. And so it was for Ruth. She was redeemed by Boaz. Now, what does redeem mean? Well, it means to purchase, as we said. It means to buy back. It's interesting that when you follow the language around the word redeem, there are some amazing things, you know. For example, one associated word means to, to buy back and to take off the market. It's speaking there in terms of a slave. You know, as one explains, when our Lord redeemed us, not only did he buy us back, as it were, but he took us out of the marketplace. We're no longer for sale. In other words, we are eternally secure in Christ. You know, and also, redeem means to set free. We're not only bought back, never to be sold again, but we're set at liberty in the Lord Jesus. You know, we're redeemed from sin and death and hell and brought to eternal life and joy, and liberty, and blessing in Christ. You know, back in Ruth 4, if you, you turn back to it a moment, you'll see that there is something else that is really significant and important. You know, verses 6 to 10 of Ruth 4, they're at the gate of the city, and the nearer kinsman says to Boaz, I can't buy her back, but you do it. Now look, if you will, at verses 7 to 8 of Ruth chapter 4. Now, this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm anything. One man took off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was a confirmation in Israel. Therefore, the close relative said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, so he took off his sandal. Now, he said, well, what's happening? What's going on there? Well, the nearer kinsman would not and could not perform the redemption. And so he gives to Boaz his shoe and with it the rights of redemption. And he says, you redeem her. That's what is being symbolized. It was a legal transaction of the day. But you know, the imagery is so rich. You know, Bible's a, a wonderful book. You see, this whole picture of the exchange of shoes talks of one person taking the place of another to perform the necessary action. You know, this is what Jesus did when he saved those who believe. He stands in our shoes. You know, he, he does what we could not do. He takes the sin and the hell and the degradation, all that we have come in, and he takes the price. He, he, he does and deals with it, and Jesus says, I will stand in your shoes as Boaz stands in the shoes of that nearer kinsman, the old flesh, the Adamic nature, and he says, I'll do what you cannot do. I'll stand in your shoes. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture. And that is what the Lord Jesus did. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that's what happens when we're, we're saved. You know, the sinner who comes to Jesus finds that all their guilt, all their sin, all their condemnation is laid upon Christ. And they receive forgiveness and they receive his righteousness and life and deliverance. You know, here was this woman, Ruth, a stranger, an alien, no hope, under the curse, outside. But Boaz redeems her and brings her near. And so it is with us in Christ. You know, imagine Ruth's joy when she heard that Boaz had indeed 
given that sandal and there'd been that exchange and confirmed that he would marry her. A similar joy should be ours as we look at the cross and that we know that we belong to the Lord Jesus. The very last thing that we need to see tonight, we've looked at the Redeemer, we've looked at the redemption, and then lastly, I want you to look at the restoration. You know, Ruth got some things back. In fact, there are five things I want you to see. She received a family. It says in verse 10, Moreover, Ruth, the Moabitess, the widow of Marlon, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead through his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren. Ruth is brought into a family. You know, when a person is saved, they are brought to be part of the family of God with brothers and sisters eternally so. And notice that she also received a fortune. She marries Boaz, a mighty man of wealth. No longer is she gleaning in the fields, picking the scraps. She's now married to the owner and she shares in his abundance. Do you know what the Bible says about believers? We are heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. We are blessed with every spiritual blessing in him. Such abundance. And he is pleased to share with us in the most remarkable way. You know, why should we envy the world? We have everything if we have Christ. And notice something else in verse 11. She received fame. And you say, well, hold on. How does this fit in? Look, it says, she will be famous in Bethlehem. And you know, the name Ruth today is spoken, certainly amongst believers, uh, as a name spoken of with reverence. It's one of the most beautiful names. And here we are speaking of Ruth tonight. And, you know, in that sense, she's famous. But in Christ, the believer is given recognition in heaven. And if we know him, we will shine as the brightness of the stars forever and ever. We are made kings and priests unto God. It's a staggering thing. Also, she received fruitfulness. Look at verse 11. May you prosper in Ephrata. The word Ephrata means fruitful, and Ruth became fruitful. We mentioned it this morning in terms of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, we are fruitful in him. John 15, 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain fruitful in Christ. And she received a future. Look at verses 16 to 17. Ruth had a little baby. It says, Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. And the neighbor women gave him a name, saying, There is a son born to Naomi. And they called his name Obed. He is the father of Jesse, the father of David. And of course, for those who know, that's the line of the Lord Jesus. She had a stunning future. And Ruth is now in glory, delighting in the Lord. And you know, the birth of Obed was another reminder that God cares and God rules and that God provides and that he's always at work behind the, the scenes of human choices and the, the twists and the turns of life, working out his purposes. You know, and from Genesis all the way through to Revelation, we get glimpses of these redemptive purposes and the very engrafting of Ruth into this redeemed family 
tests of God's sovereign, comprehensive mercy in which he used her unlikely marriage to Boaz to produce the lineage for King David and the Lord Jesus Christ. She had a future. You know, if only people could see something of the glory of the gospel, of the Lord Jesus Christ, they would be running to him. And yet they're blind. And here you are, you're an alien maybe under the curse, you're a stranger, no hope now or for the future. But there is a Boaz. There is a, a kinsman redeemer. And he, friend, is worthy enough, he is wealthy enough, and he is willing to save you, even though you don't deserve it. He is able to deal with your sin, past, present, future. He is able to save you and to keep you and to give you a future and a hope. He gave his life to redeem sinners like us. And that is what we are tonight if we are believers. We are the redeemed. We are sinners saved by grace. We are his bride purchased with his blood. And you know what's beautiful? And I'll close with this. In verse 11, when they got married, it was in the presence of all these witnesses. And she was so happy that everybody knew that she loved Boaz and that he loved her. And you know, whenever there's a wedding, there's, there should be no secrecy, but a public profession of love and commitment between the bridegroom and the bride. There's no shame and let me ask you, my dear friend, have you trusted Christ? Are you ashamed of him? Are you holding it a secret, as it were? Hear the warning of Jesus, Mark 8. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man also, will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. How can you be ashamed? of the one who died in agony and blood on that cross for you. You can't. The Lord Jesus is the kinsman redeemer, our only hope in life and death. Why delay any longer? Surely it's time that you profess your love for him to say, I do, to say, Lord Jesus, please redeem me. Please save me. Please have mercy upon me. And I'll tell you this. Romans 10, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Why not trust him? Why not come to this Redeemer? Ask him, cry out to him to save you, and he will. And as we've seen, there's none like him. And you know, when you trust him, you'll be able to sing with the rest of us, my Jesus, I love thee, I know thou art mine. Amen.